16. Romans 16. Some of you have uh, noticed or even made comments about the fact that I'm on the stage now more and I'm no longer preaching from the floor and walking back and forth like I did for uh, uh, 15 years, 18 years. Um, there's no reason for that. Uh, people have been worried about my health. You know, Pastor Tim, are you okay? You know, I see you sitting down more. Uh, no, I'm 50, y'all. I mean, I, I'm 50. Um, I preach three times, sometimes four times on a Sunday, and uh, I, I preach with passion, and I love that, and I have a hard time standing still. Uh, those days when I walk back and forth so much, if y'all notice, I would sweat just buckets, and I did that every time I preached, and I would be just exhausted, exhausted at the end of a Sunday, uh, and I don't know that I have to do that. I've learned that I can stand and maybe just walk in this much space and even sit at times, and uh, hopefully it helps my preaching. I know that at the end of it, I'm not as worn out. Uh, and again, the bottom line, I'm 50, and uh, I, I don't need to run 10 miles and preach at the same time. So uh, I hope you'll, you'll just simply uh, listen for the word of the Lord uh, and, and not pay much attention to the preacher at all. Romans chapter 16 is where I want us to be. We're finishing up the message series today that's been entitled Forgotten Girls of the Bible. We've been talking about, uh, of course, what the Bible says about, about some of the women characters. We've been trying to go back to stories uh, and characters that have been, for the most part, forgotten or not, not preached very much. And that is certainly uh, very much true of uh, the passage today. Romans chapter 16 is frequently overlooked. We're having TV problems here. Uh, no signal. Can I just turn it off? Or y'all just turn it off? I don't... On the screen? Okay. Is Laverne and Shirley going to pop up here in a second? Because that <laughs> would be a problem. Um, had one big idea, one major thought that's been driving us through this series, and it's been simply this. In the soul of a woman, God places strength. I want to stop right there. Uh, you've heard me say this, but let me say it over and over and over. There is no indication in the Bible that the woman is the weaker sex. Uh, that comes from somewhere else, but it doesn't come from Scripture. In Scripture, God created us male and female in his image. That means that both of us, men and women, we are both created to bear God's image in the world. Now, we don't do it in the same way. We're different. Men make great, men make great men, but men would make lousy women, and vice versa. Women make great women, but you would make lousy men. We don't have to be alike in that. We're different, and that's beautiful. Uh, but we have to respect the fact that we both reflect God's image in different ways, and, and we should respect that. So that being said, God places strength in the soul of a woman. There is strength there, strength that he puts in you and strength that he puts in you for his own purposes. God places in the soul of a woman strength, but also longing for adventure. Everybody, I believe, deep down wants a life that matters, a life that has purpose, something worth getting out of bed for in the morning, something that makes the heart pump, something that gives you a, a a feeling of significance in the kingdom of God. God puts that in your heart, ma'am, and God places that strength and that longing for adventure. Uh, and that adventure is one, in your case, that is often alongside others. Most women are more relational. They enjoy uh, being together. They want to go together. They want to be a part of, of something. Men can often be a little bit more loners, uh, a loner tendency, but women often uh, enjoy this being together, this adventure alongside others. So let's talk about that today, especially in the context of the body of Christ. Now, when I say that God has given you strength and, and a longing for adventure alongside others, and then I bring church into that, some of you have this concept of church, which is no more uh, fully biblical than your idea of women. And that is just simply, you just think of church as a, a place to spend an hour on Sunday. And that's not the church. That's not the New Testament idea of church. That's not in any way what Jesus died for an hour of your Sunday morning. It's not about your church life. It's about your life life. Do you understand? It's about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, your entire life belongs to Christ if, if you're a believer. So when I say that, that today I wanted to talk about church, I'm not really talking about just if, if you think church is one hour on Sunday. I'm talking more about your place in the body of Christ, the, the kingdom of God, which is what the church is. So what I want you to understand is that in the body of Christ as a woman, your strength, uh, your, your purpose should come into full focus. You should become fully alive in the context of the body of Christ, the, the, the church itself. And, and that's where we are this morning. Romans chapter 16 is uh, 
an interesting passage that almost nobody ever reads. And once I start reading it, you're going to remember why it is you stopped reading this a long time ago, but we're going to stick with it. This is an important passage uh, as much for uh, the fact that uh, so many of the people in it are overlooked and forgotten. Let's remember them today. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. This is where we'll start. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sincrea. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Eponidas. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apellus, a good man whom Christ approves, and give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Give my greetings to Trophina and Trophosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own and also his dear mother. Stop. Who's Rufus? That's my favorite name in the whole list there. That's awesome. Rufus. Who is Rufus? He is mentioned in the Gospels, one of the few sort of minor characters whose name is given to us in the Gospels. His father was Simon of Cyrene. Who was Simon of Cyrene? Oh, gosh, I'm going to make me go all the way back and... Simon of Cyrene, you know who that is? No, that was Simon the Magician. Simon of Cyrene. Absolutely. He carried the cross of Jesus. When Jesus was making his walk to Calvary, you remember, he stumbled and they laid his cross upon Simon of Cyrene. So Simon of Cyrene carried the cross of Jesus and he had a son and that son's name is Rufus. And Rufus is now being greeted in the church at Rome. I just think that's actually kind of cool because it says, greet Rufus whom the Lord picked out to be his very own and also his dear mother who has been a mother to me. I, I just love that. Give my greetings to Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and to Olympus, and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other in Christian love. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. It's one of those passages that's just all names. It's all names. Most of the time we skip those passages. We don't preach them very often because honestly, in the pulpit, it's awkward. Nobody knows how to pronounce those names. My secret is you say it fast and just keep going. And, and nobody, nobody thinks anything. You just say it fast and people think you know what you're doing. Um, it's just names. It's names at the end of the book of Romans. And as I say, it's a passage usually overlooked or, or not not uh, actually studied much because it's, it's names. It's, it's kind of like the, the credits at the end of a movie. How many of you like movies? Hands up. How many of you stay and watch the credits at the end of a movie? There's always, there are nerds who do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nerd alert. Yeah, I've done it. Clifford, you do that? Yeah, I sometimes read movie credits. It's kind of fun. In the last few years, they've actually started sneaking in bloopers or deleted scenes. So if you leave before the credits, you may miss something good. So now it's kind of awkward. You don't know if you should stay or go when the credits start rolling. But most of us don't care. We're simply not paying attention to the credits. In other words, was one short period in my and Casey's life when she was pregnant and we always watched movie credits for what reason? Baby name ideas. Yeah, baby. We watched the credits just to read names and go, oh, Dolly Grip. That would be a Dolly. Let's name him Dolly Grip. Yeah. We would just look for name ideas from movie credits. Other than that, 
I, I, I don't know if that many of us actually read the credits. And, and this feels like movie credits. You, you get through the book of Romans with all of the great theology and all of the incredible teaching. And then at the end, it's like the credits. Uh, Paul starts naming all the names and thanking all the people like the Academy Awards. And, and for some reason, a lot of us just simply uh, don't pay a lot of attention to the list of names. Well, let me just remind you a few things. First off, for Paul, this is not just a list of names. These are people dear to him. Start there. These are people dear to him, not, not just names. These are people whom he loves. And also keep in mind that in Romans chapter 16, we actually have a really good profile of the church. It's, it's the church. And the church is people. It's, it's always people. You and I have a, somehow a way of forgetting that, but the church is people. Now, let me stop right here. This is a little sermon inside the big sermon, little sermon here. Uh, Paul knows about 25 names, it seems. He knows about 25 people by name, and he's never been to Rome yet. He's never visited these people. He's never been to this church. So Paul, having never been there, knows about 25 people by name in the congregation. I, I think that's pretty amazing for the simple reason that some of you have been coming here for 30 years and you don't know 25 names of people yet. I just want to, as pastor, remind you that the church is about the people, that the church is the people. And it's not okay for us to come and go and walk past each other like strangers. That's not okay. It's never okay. Now, you may be a guest today and you don't know anybody, and, and God bless you. We're really, really glad you're here. But I still hope that you are greeted by name and that you understand that for us, names matter. It's hard to learn names. I'm the first one to recognize that today, probably no fewer than 10 times. I have asked somebody to tell me their name again, and I know I've heard it before, but I have a hard time remembering it. I have to hear it over and over and over. Uh, I just want to say it's worth it. It's worth it because other people's names are as important to them as my name is to me. Are you with me? So it's not okay that, that you sit near people and you never turn around and exchange names. That's not okay. And, and church is not a place where you walk down the hall and you just bump shoulders and apologize and never, ever learn names. Learn names. Learn each other's names. You may not ever learn all 600 names. I know it's a pretty good-sized church, but you can learn the names of the people whose path you're crossing every single Sunday. You can learn the people who share a pew with you. You can at least learn the names of the people who ride in the car with you. Uh, understand? Names matter because people matter, and the church is about people. Romans chapter 16, Paul is going over the names of people that are dear to him. They are the names of the people, for the most part, in the church at Rome. Now, let me say this. For us, Paul is a name we know. You've never probably heard of Stachys or Trophina and Trophosa or Herodian, but you know Paul. Paul is the celebrity. Paul is the church planter. Now, he's never been to Rome, but at the same time now, when you tell Paul's story, you're always going to get to the book of Romans. He wrote a letter to the church there, and that really is important, and it is important. Paul had an impact uh, in the world for the kingdom of God and especially in the church at Rome. But I just want you to come back and understand that if you were at the church in Rome, these names here, these are the names that matter. Th these are the people. And, and this is the, the basic truth I want you to see, that the day-to-day -day work of the gospel is actually accomplished by day-to-day -day people. Day-to-day -day people like you and like me, their stories don't always get told and their names aren't always known or remembered, but it's the day-to-day -day people that matter. In the church at Rome, these are the people that matter. Paul's never been there. He may eventually come. We assume that he makes it there. We don't know that for sure, but we assume that he eventually made it to Rome, got to meet them face-to-face. -face. But the point is, if he came, he went. And that's what I just want to say today. Pastors come and go. We come and go, but the church is the church. Now, as pastor, my name's on the sign. I sometimes become sort of the face with the place. Sorry about that. I, I become the face with the place. Uh, people associate the church with me and, and my ministry. But understand, I am not more important than any other person in this church. I am not more important than the newest baby in the nursery today. I am not more important. And Paul wasn't more important. And in Romans chapter 16, you get to see this marvelous place where he names people who he says, these are my co-workers. 
In other words, these are the people doing the very same job I'm doing. Make sure they get the praise and the respect that they're due. Do you understand? Pastors come and go. The church is the church. This in my hand is a history of Woodburn Baptist Church published in 1967. The church was 100 years old then, so you do the math. Uh, if you get to the back of the book, you get the, uh, the credits. You, you get the listing of all of the pastors. Most of the book is a listing of the pastors, which I think is just really interesting and also kind of funny. Uh, John F. South, the very first pastor of Woodburn, 1867 to 1872. He was pastor for five years. Five years. He was followed by V.K. Witt, 1874 to 1878. He was pastor for four years. Yeah. Thomas Bibb, pastor for five years. Yeah. You go through these guys, you get to the name Edward Nicholas Dickon. I, I like this guy. Edward Nicholas Dickon had one of the most fruitful ministries in the history of our church. He was the pastor of the church at the turn of the last century, the 1800s into the 1900s. He was pastor for 22 years and nine months. He still has the record. 22 years, nine months, he was an amazing man. He was followed by a name you might know, George Bush. George, not that Bush, George Baber Bush, pastor for five years. Yeah, there's one I've been meaning to ask you guys about. A, a fellow named Roy Leonard Austin was pastor for 11 months back in 1920. 11 months, and it's only got this much on him, and all it says here at the end is his mail is now returned undelivered, and a tracer failed to locate him in 1956. What's a tracer? His mail comes back undelivered, they can't find him. This sounds like somebody whose body we're going to find under the parsonage one of these days. It kind of makes me wonder about you folks, should I, should I turn my back? Roy Leonard Austin disappeared, and uh, nobody knows where he is. There are some big names in here. Uh, name W.A. Criswell, pastor for two years and 10 months. Uh, Dr. Criswell went on to become the pastor of First Baptist Dallas, one of the largest churches in the United States of America. He once filled this pulpit two years and 10 months. Uh, incidentally, Dr. Criswell wrote his autobiography, a, a rather amazing book about this thick. And Woodburn Baptist Church is mentioned in a footnote. Feelings mutual, Dr. Criswell. That's all I got to say. We got a, a footnote. It's uh, interesting. I love some of these men. Uh, Bryant Houchins, I knew personally. C.R. Daly, I knew personally a wonderful man. Uh, Bill Clark Thomas was only here four years. Uh, they were good years, a, a very good pastor. It stops with Hewlin Allen. He was the pastor in 1967. Uh, I've been your pastor 18 years. That makes me second, uh, second uh, longest uh, tenure as pastor. Uh, if the Lord tarries and if you all will have me, maybe I can beat the record. I'll be here longer than Ian Dickin. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. How long I stay is not more important than how long you stay. Did, did you understand? Pastors come and go. The, the, the church is the church. And it's the day-to-day -day people who are actually doing all the work of ministry. You know, again, some of these birds, I mean, we're here two years or less. I've had a black toenail now for longer than two years. You understand, these pastors came and went. You don't want to see it. I mean, I, I do, but it's, it's it, no, you can. The work of the ministry happens from the people, and the church at Rome is these people, and they're dear to Paul, and they are the ones who did the ministry there for, for a, a great period of time. Notice the list. Uh, take a look at Romans 16 with me. There are something like 24, 25 names here. Uh, over half of them are men, and, and that's probably not surprising. But what is rather surprising about the passage is the number of women that Paul does mention. Uh, more than half are men, but, but of the names he mentions that are women, you'll notice that nearly every time he gets to a woman, he pauses and he says something about her. Now, the men get listed, and it goes right past them. Some of them are, are commendable, but most of the men's names are just listed. The women usually have a, a, a tagline. This is who she is. This is why she should be honored. And, and that's sort of interesting. Why does Paul do that? Well, I think just like in our day, maybe, maybe these things have never changed. It's kind of a man's world. And, and of all the people whose names never get remembered and whose stories never get told, a lot of times those are women's names and stories. 
And if you think that's not true, then you need to read Romans 16 because of all the forgotten girls in the Bible, these are some of the biggest, uh, most forgotten girls. Um, Women like Phoebe. So so start with me there. Verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a, a deacon in the church in Syncria. I know that some of you struggle right there because you didn't think that women could be deacons. Well, apparently Phoebe was a deacon in the church in Syncria, and you don't even get to vote on that. You understand? You don't even get to like it or not like it. It's just there. It's it's the word of God, and you accept it. Phoebe was a deacon in the church in Syncria. She was a deacon. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. The, the first forgotten girl in Paul's list here is, is, a, is a woman deacon from the early church. And notice that Paul doesn't even make a deal of that. He just says she's a deacon from Sincre and goes on. It, it, this isn't something remarkable to Paul, which is sort of interesting because it seems remarkable to us. We almost wouldn't have even thought that this was possible for Paul in the early church, but obviously it was. Paul commends here a woman deacon from Sincrea. Her name is Phoebe. She must have been pretty amazing. Now understand a few things. First off, in the ancient world, there's no postal system. You don't just drop a, ma- a letter in the box and the mailman pick it up and deliver it. it. It couldn't work that way. The only way to get a letter moving around is to have somebody carry it. And so in Paul's case, if he's not going to be able to carry the letter himself, he would have to hand the letter off to a friend who's going to be traveling in that direction. So in this case, he must have handed the letter to Phoebe. We know this because typically at the end of the letter, whoever is carrying the letter in the ancient world, you would commend them. You would let people know who the one that you sent with the letter is because the person carrying the letter is is pretty important. If there's anything in the letter that, that would be unclear, the person who carries the letter is expected to be authorized to explain it. So understand, Phoebe is most generally recognized to be the one carrying the letter that Paul's writing to Rome. So is this sinking in? So the letter that Paul wrote to Rome, it's the book of Romans that, that, that we know. It's the book in the Bible. Phoebe must be with Paul when he writes it. And Phoebe must have some understanding of it because Paul trusts her to carry the letter of Romans back to the church at Rome. And then it's assumed that she will be standing there if she's not the one who reads it. She'd be the one standing there to explain it if anybody had any questions. And do I need to remind you, it's the book of Romans. We all have questions. It's the book of Romans. But Phoebe is apparently a person that Paul trusts and a person who is authorized and a person who can carry the book of Romans to the very first church that's ever going to hear it, and she is authorized to explain it. It's amazing. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her and whatever she needs, for she's been helpful to many, especially to me, Phoebe. It's interesting that she's not mentioned with a husband because Paul would almost always name the husband and wife if it's a husband and wife team. Phoebe's never mentioned with a husband, so she's probably single, and that's okay. She's single. But then start understanding, she's a single woman in the ancient world who apparently has prominence in the church. She apparently has, uh, she's an office of a deacon in her local church. And apparently this woman will jump on an airplane and go anywhere. I mean, she travels. In the ancient world, she travels and probably travels alone. Paul says, listen, this woman helps a lot of people. She's been a lot of help to me. You just do whatever she needs you to do. She is worthy of honor. And yet you probably never heard of her. Keep going. Verse 3. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and, and so are all the Gentile churches. And give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. That's pretty good. Now we have a husband and wife team, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, if you've read much in the New Testament, if you've been in church, you've probably heard of Priscilla and Aquila because these two pop up everywhere. Now, first notice this. Notice that Paul gives Priscilla's name first. Now, I'm not trying to read too much into this. Just simply understand, in the ancient world, the order of names mattered. 
And most of the time with a married couple, you would always say the man's name first because it's assumed that the man has higher status. But in Scripture, whenever Priscilla and Aquila are named, not every time, but most every time, Priscilla will be named first. So there is some suggestion that she has higher status, that she's given prominence over Aquila. She must have been a really brilliant woman. Let's go back to Acts Acts chapter 18, just a few pages. It won't be on the screens. If you're following the live event on the Bible app, I've got Acts 18 queued up for you. But Acts 18 in your own Bibles, look with me. This is where Paul first meets them. Acts 18 verse 1. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. So what do we learn? We learned that Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, are Jews. We learned that they were in Italy, they were in Rome, but when Emperor Claudius, at some point, he drove all of the Jews out of Rome, so Priscilla and Aquila had to move, they had to leave Rome. And at that point, somehow they ended up in Corinth, and that's where Paul meets them. Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth, and notice in Corinth that we find out that they have sort of a family business. What do Priscilla and Aquila do? How do they make a living? Yeah, they're tent makers. So they're husband and wife business partners like like Gretchen and Steve Cherry or others in our congregation. These are husband and wife business partners. They are actually tent makers. And Paul meets them in Corinth. Now, later they're going to be in Ephesus. So notice this. Go down to chapter 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos... An eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. Now, Apollos becomes a very, very important teacher in the church. Read the book of Corinthians, but find out right here where he gets that. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he only knew about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So we find out right there that Priscilla and Aquila, again, Priscilla's given prominence. Priscilla and Aquila, they hear Apollo teaching Apollos. He has some gifts, he has some knowledge, but he needs some discipling. He needs some further teaching. So Priscilla is involved in the discipling of the man who becomes Apollos, who becomes a very important teacher in the church. But don't forget the girl here. Priscilla is one of those who helped teach him. So Priscilla and Aquila are a married couple who follow the Lord with incredible passion and focus. Now, they're tent makers, but honestly, it sounds like the tent making and the marriage, even though they are not insignificant, they're not as important as the gospel. The ministry is more important for this couple than the marriage or the business. They travel the world. They move from place to place. We know they lived in Rome. We know they lived in Corinth. We know they lived in Ephesus. And every single time poor old Priscilla has to go to a new house, the first thing she does is start a church in it. Everywhere you find them, they have a church in their house. So Priscilla is an amazing woman. Alongside her husband, uh, Aquila, they have a tremendous ministry, uh, and it comes from the life and hope that is found inside their marriage. They are risk takers, Paul says. They saved my life. Uh, I love that. Verse 6, a woman named Mary. Paul just stops long enough to say, man, she worked so hard for you. She worked so hard for you. Verse 7, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They're highly respected among the apostles, became followers of Christ before I did. I'll let that sink in a minute, and I'm going to read it again. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles. Now, you may be thinking that, that this verse says that the apostles think a lot of Andronicus and Junia. They're highly thought of by the apostles, but that's not what the Scripture says. They are among the apostles. So Andronicus and Junia are apostles. That's what Paul is saying, and, and everyone agrees with that. I'm not making that up. 
the, the difficult thing for some people to accept is that June's a woman. So Paul, at this moment, he's commending and asking them to greet a woman named June who he calls an apostle, not just any apostle. She's really well thought of among the apostles. Now, what? What? I didn't miss a single Sunday of Sunday school in my whole life, and I don't ever remember a lady apostle. What would you call that, like an apostolette? I don't ever remember that. But whether or not you've ever heard of that, Paul knew of that. You understand? June was an apostle that Paul knew very well. She was well thought of among the apostles. Andronicus and Junia, we don't know if that's husband and wife or brother and sister. They're probably husband and wife, but it's the only mention we have of them in Scripture. It's this. So this is all we can know. She was an apostle. June was an apostle, highly respected among the apostles. She was a follower of Christ before Paul was. Now, that's not surprising. Understand that the only real condition for being an apostle from what we read in the book of Acts, it doesn't say that they had to be men. It doesn't necessarily say that a woman can't be an apostle. What you had to be was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. You had to have seen the risen Lord. And so the fact that June would have been in Christ longer than Paul is not surprising. She would have had to have seen the risen Lord. She would have had to have been an eyewitness to Easter. So we know that much about her. She was an eyewitness to the risen Lord. She was converted before Paul was. And we know that at some point that woman was thrown in prison beside Paul. Now, I don't know a lot about women in prison. I've never seen the, the show Orange is a New Black. Is that the name of it? Never seen it. But apparently women in prison are rough girls. But June is a woman who had seen the inside of prison because of the gospel, just like Paul. Just like Paul. Greet Andronicus and June, my fellow Jews who are in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles, became followers of Christ even before I did. A woman apostle. Seems like we forgot that. The names go on and on and on. Uh, I, I, I love the names. I, I, I love some of the names, especially. Greet Urbanus, verse 9, our co-worker in Christ. My dear friend Stachus. Stachus is a Greek word. You know what it means? Corn cob. Stachus means corn cob, which tells us that Stachus is a guy probably from Portland, Logan County, something like that. There's, there's a Logan County boy in every crowd. I, I don't know. No, he's a farmer. Stachus is more than likely a farmer. His name is Corncob. That's what they call him. Paul calls him a dear friend. But understand, a lot of these people are probably farmers. I don't know what you picture when Paul's writing to the church at Rome. It's still probably less than 100 people. And it's not a church in Rome. There's not a brick building with a steeple in the middle of town. It's house churches. That's why Paul says, listen, greet the people that meet in the household of Aristobulus and, and greet the people that meet in the household of Narcissus and greet everybody that meets in Priscilla and Aquila's house. Understand, it's, it's small groups that meet in houses. This is the church, and it's farmers, and it's men, and it's women, and it's, it's, it's single women, and married people, and, and slaves. There's a whole string of names here that are slave names. Verse, six, verse, uh, verse 14, 15, these are slave names. Philologus, Julia, Nereus, his sister Olympus, those are slave names. Rufus and his mother from Cyrene, that's an African family living in Rome. And Paul says, that African woman's like a, a mother to me. You just see the church? It's, it's across cultures. It's across class. It's women and men. It's exactly like Paul says when he says, in Christ, there is now no longer any Jew or Gentile, no longer any slave or free, no longer any male or female. We're all one in Christ. So whatever you could possibly say to divide us, Christ trumps all of that. Whatever could possibly make me think of myself as different from you, if I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, then we have more in common. We have more that brings us together than could ever possibly tear us apart. Give my greetings to Rufus, his dear mother, like a mother to me. Greet Julia, Narius, and his sister. It's a, a lot of men, but, but, but women right there alongside them. What, what does that say to us? What does it say to us today, especially, especially as I talk to the women? What, what does it mean? 
I think first off, you have to recognize that the, the women of the church, as, as Paul remembers these, this church and the people and the women and the men, they're woven in together in this fabric of relationship and partnership. And, and Christ is the center of that. Now, I know you and I, we get all, all, all bent up into pieces about offices of the church, deacons and pastors and all of this, but this isn't, Paul's not talking about any of that. I'm not people. In this web of relationship and partnership, just getting the job done, you can, you can worry about the other stuff later. They're just doing the work. And honestly, we need people in, in, in all churches that just want to do the work. Forget about the offices, the titles. Do the work. And you have men and women doing the, the work. The, the women inside the relationships, which they tend to, to fulfill so well. Sometime on your own, go back through this chapter and, and look at the words that Paul uses to describe the women. A lot of them are relational words. They're called sister and, and mother. Um, they're, they're wives. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm blessed to be in a church where my family is. My, my mother is sitting right there. My father, they're both in the congregation. My sister goes here. Uh, I, I love my earthly family. My, my biological family is, is everything to me. Um, my mom, I, I love my mother. Um, but there's something amazing about the body of Christ. And, and if you're a believer, surely you know about this. Um, women in this church, you, you're all my sisters. I, I love my sister. She's one of the most important people in the world to me. She will be to the day I die. But, 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 but you, w women... You'll be my sisters for all eternity. That, that's important to me. It, it matters a great deal to me. I'm saying that all of these roles that you fulfill in the world and, and in your families are important, but there's something that happens when, when Christ becomes the center of all of that. When, when you're a mother to your own children, but also a, a mother who is saturated with Christ, somehow you become the kind of woman that Paul could say, man, you're just a mother to me too. I don't have any grandmothers at all who are living, but, but I've got senior ladies in this church that, that I've, they didn't ask to be my grandmothers. I've just adopted them. Their family. Paul, as you know, didn't have any family, no, no, no wife, no family he ever mentions. But Paul says, Timothy's like his son. He's a son to me. And Rufus's mother's become my mother. It's this beautiful way that in the body of Christ, we become family to one another. And, and understand, as Paul talks about the women, that they're woven into this fabric of relationship. And it matters mostly because these relationships are, are just saturated in Christ. It's relationship, but it's also partnership. Paul gives these women credit because credit is due them. They're doing the work. And Paul uses that, 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 that term of partnership. He calls them co-workers, which is to say in Paul's mind, they're doing the same work I'm doing. And he doesn't in any way hesitate to say that. They do the work I do. June was in prison right beside me. Honor her. Give her the respect that she's due. She sat in jail beside me as an apostle and as a preacher. Honor her. Respect her. Let me go on to say this. I, I know some of this is hard for some of you to hear, but it's just the Bible. Women will serve God today in all the ways they served him in the Bible. I know that in churches sometimes we restrict women from certain roles, certain offices. I'm not even really talking about that today. Because I'm really just talking about the work of ministry, which happens all the time. It just happens all the time, and women are doing it. They're just doing it, usually doing it quietly, usually without having their stories told or their names remembered. But that never matters to the women who were just drenched with Christ. They just do the work. You know, one of the issues in the Southern Baptist Convention right now is, is something interesting happening with what we call, ironically, the journeyman program. You can be a journeyman if you're uh, called to ministry, wanna, want to experience international missions. It's a two-year appointment through the International Mission Board, journeyman, two years. Here's the thing. Right now in Southern Baptist life, we have twice as many women, girls who want to be journeymen, journey girls, journey women. Uh, whatever, journey chicks, um, with twice as many of the young women who want to be journeymen than men. 
Some people wring their hands over that. What's wrong? What's wrong with, you know, what's wrong with our guys? We need to bring some of these women back, you know, because I hear people say that. I hear people say, Pastor Tim, I hear what you're saying today about this church with all these women being active in leadership. But in my opinion, in my experience, whenever the women step forth in, in that kind of work, whenever the women take the lead, men get lazy. I've heard that all my life. Men get lazy. If the women do the work, men get lazy. Well, let's talk about that. First off, let me say a word in the men's behalf. There are lazy women too. It's not just men who get lazy. The world is full of lazy women. Just walk on up to the dollar store. Understand? The world is filled with lazy women, just like lazy men. You can't spit in Woodburn without hitting a lazy person. Understand? I mean, there's just lazy people everywhere. So let's just agree to that. Men and women both are lazy. But let's also recognize that if, if there's a lazy person, let's blame the lazy person. I can't imagine, let's just say that you got a church where there are lazy men. Why would you blame the women who are doing the work for the men who are lazy? I say we blame the lazy people. And if you have a church where the women are lazy, let's don't blame the men. You blame the lazy people. You understand? You don't have to tear men down to build up women. And you don't have to tear women down to build up men. We are not adversaries. We are called alongside one another. Now, if in the Southern Baptist Convention at the present moment, we have a whole crop of women flooding the mission field, I say praise God. I say praise God. And nobody in the world is trying to pull them back. Let's send them. Let's set them on fire and send them into the world. The world needs more women on fire for Christ. Now, this does mean we have a man problem. We may have a lazy man problem, but it's not the women's fault. Understand? It's interesting. One of our convention leaders actually said that the problem is all of the women are quietly moving into the mission field while all of our men are sitting around seminary lobbies arguing about Calvinism. And it's true. It's true. They can argue about it all they want. Meanwhile, you got a lot of young women who were just... Meanwhile, filling the mission field. Well, they always have. God's always used women. Everywhere Priscilla went, she started a church in her house. I mean, she's a church planter. You understand? God's always used men and women together. He's not going to stop. God used them in the Bible. I, I say he's going to continue to use them in all the ways he used them in the Bible. Now, there are cultural things. I recognize that. There are cultural situations where it would not work for women to be in certain roles. A lot of the Muslim countries are doing missions in right now. It just wouldn't help the gospel to put women up front. I get that. There are good reasons why you make decisions based on culture for the sake of the gospel. I think Paul would say that. You don't do anything that harms or hinders the spread of the gospel. I think there are cultural reasons why in many places women haven't been allowed certain offices in our churches. But understand, they're cultural reasons, not biblical reasons. And, and, and understand that. At least be honest about that. That's culture, not scripture. I think that God is going to continue to use women today in all the ways he used them then. It, it just makes sense. It makes sense because the world is desperately in need. And the church is desperately in need of another woman who will just be drenched with Christ. I mean, these are who these women are. Notice the, the in Christ language. Greet her, Phoebe, our sister, in, in Christ. Greet these women in, in Christ. It's this in Christ language that, 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 that defines the body of Christ. It's, it's in Christ. These are women who are saturated with Christ. The relationships in which they are joined, the, the partnerships in which they go to work, it, it's all about Christ. These are women who are saturated and drenched with Christ. And, and all I've got to say is the world needs one more woman like that. The world needs uh, another woman who will just absolutely live her life for Jesus. The world needs another Phoebe, a single woman who's just not afraid, not afraid to get up and move, not afraid to take risks, not afraid to stand up in front of people and speak or read or explain, not afraid whatsoever to take the name of Jesus into the world and go wherever he sins and do whatever he says. I mean, isn't that exactly what God has called you to do, ma'am? Why would you not want to step forward in courage and boldness and use your strength for the sake of the Lord. The world needs more women like Phoebe, 
Or, or like June, called an apostle. What? I mean, who even knew? But June didn't even stop to decide if that was something that women should do. God called her. She was a witness to the living and risen Christ, and she just stepped forward into whatever he called her into doing. And apparently, it sent her all the way to prison. She preached her way right into prison, and then somehow out the back door and just kept on going. The world needs women of courage, women who won't stop to see if anybody approves of them, women who are just only living for the approval of Christ. And if it lands her in jail, she will not stop speaking his name. Paul says, she sat right beside me in chains. Tell her hello from me. world needs more women like that. Women like Rufus's mother. I mean, why, I don't know, why can we give us her name? But Paul just says, man, that woman's like a mother to me. I can't wait to see her. She's like my, she's like my mother. And we need more women in the world who will just mother other people's kids. One of the things I love about this church is the number of adopted and foster kids we have here. I love that. Man, we just got moms with hearts that do not stop expanding. And they'll mother the whole world. Yet that's what happens when a woman becomes so saturated with Christ that she does things in his strength and not just her own. Woman, you want to know why you're so tired all the time? I know you work. A woman's work is never done. Isn't that what they tell us? I mean, a woman's work is never done. But, but, but my hunch is, as much as you do and all the people you do it for, you're doing this out of yourself. You've not yet learned what we're saying here about a woman drenched with Christ because Christ will fill you up. Now, serving your family will drain you. At some point, you're going to lose it. I mean, frying pans will fly. I mean, at some point, you're going to be worn out, burned out because it's coming from inside of you, but there's not enough inside of you for the whole world. But when you will allow yourself to be saturated with Christ, when you will stew in him like a crock pot, do you understand? And then begin to serve and give out of that, you will never run out. I don't know why you're so tired, because you're doing it on your own. Allow Christ to fill you and then go out into your family, go out into the world and just see how unstoppable you will be. We need mothers and sisters and daughters and friends who will just love and serve and give out of the abundance of Christ. The world needs another woman like that. This church needs another woman like that. Woman, I have a simple request for you. Will you be that woman? The world needs another woman of God, another woman who will put Christ first, a woman who will go where he says go, risk what he says risk, pay whatever cost is necessary, a woman who will just live for him, won't you be that woman? Won't you be that? Because Christ has put in you this strength and, and this longing for a great adventure. And I know you want to come alongside others. And, and that's where the rest of us, that's where the men come in. We, we want to do it with you. We need you and, and you need us. And God has put us together. It's not a competition. It's not about one of us rising and the other one sinking. We, we, we need each other. We're like, we're like the two wings on an airplane. An airplane can't fly with just one wing and, and we need each other. All I know is when Paul thought about the church of Rome, he, uh, his mind went to these women who were quietly doing the work of the Lord. By our time, their stories aren't told anymore, and we've mostly forgotten their names. But understand, the work that they have done, the glory they have brought to Christ, the contribution they have made to the kingdom, it will last for eternity. You also can have a work, a purpose that is eternal. If you will be that person who will live a life drenched with Christ. I'm asking you to be that person.
Pray with me. Lord Jesus, for some of us today, the scripture brings new thoughts, new thoughts about the church, new thoughts about men and women, Lord, but most importantly, I hope new thoughts about ourselves and our place in your kingdom. God, some of us would truly rather argue about theology or argue about church than actually go out and do the work of the kingdom. Some of us are more concerned about setting and enforcing rules than we are just seeing to it that people hear the good news of Jesus. Lord, I pray that nothing would matter to us as much as the gospel. And I pray, Lord, especially for the women in this church who've been saved by the gospel. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would pour your strength into their souls and continue to stir this longing for a great adventure. Lord, whether we're talking about young girls or senior ladies, Lord, I pray that each would be willing to start a brand new chapter of their lives, a chapter of service and adventure and courage and sacrifice, a chapter, Lord, where you will have your complete way with their lives. Lord, I pray that none of us, not one of us would, would, would hold back from following you f- out of feelings of not being good enough or, or out of fear of what others would say. Lord, I just pray that we would listen to your voice and follow you wherever you lead us. Lord, some of us in this house, we simply think that our duty is simply to fill a pew for an hour on Sunday. God, help us. Help us to know that you didn't hang on the cross so that we could simply have an hour in church on Sunday. Lord, show us what our life is. Show us what our purpose is. And then teach us to come alongside one another to change the world for Jesus. Lord, our lives are short. And we know, Lord, that we are day-to-day people, ordinary people, but we know, Lord, that you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the sake of the gospel. So, Lord, if you are looking for men and women who will commit their whole hearts to you, if you are looking for men and women who will be set fire to burn for you in the world, if you are looking for men and women who will go where you say go and do what you say do and say what you ask us to say, then, Lord, we will be those men and women. Call us. Make us brave. Give us, Lord, feet that move, and we will go into the world for you. Yet it begins with a moment of surrender, Lord. It begins when we are simply willing to die to ourselves and live for you. In this moment of worship, in this moment of prayer, in this moment of singing, may we die to ourselves and come to life in you. May there be nothing in us, Lord Jesus, at the end of this song that is not yours. We give it all for you. Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray.